Welcome back to 15 on the 15th, our bite-sized book club series featuring podcasts designed to help you digest short articles, no more than 15 minutes of reading, we promise. This 15-minute recipe for success is a pinch of insightful reading, a dash of engaging discussion, and it blends together research and classroom practice. My name is Jenny Dees, and I'm one of the coordinators of the ENL program here at Notre Dame. I'm joined today by my colleague, Claire Roach. Hello, everybody. And sadly, Katie is not with us today because she has an awful case of laryngitis. Last month, the three of us discussed the first half of Coleraine Colorado's article, A Guide for Engaging ELL Families. This article outlines 20 strategies that help schools to think critically about how they engage, empower, and learn from their multilingual and multicultural families. In fact, there were so many good ideas in this article that we split it into two podcasts. Last time we focused on numbers one through 10, and today we're gonna look at that second half of the strategies. With a little bit of redundancy on number 10. We thought it was a really important one. And, and Jenny, I do, I feel like it's an opportunity to keep it real. Um, and so I wanna dive straight into the issue of homework in part because it's so tricky, um, and also in part because I know you have so many thoughts on the subject. Claire, you're right. This is a loaded topic for many reasons. Um, I like the way that the article approached this, even just from the title of this, this topic, number 10, look for the ways that ELL parents can help with children's schoolwork. So you're looking for ways to welcome the families into this process, to bridge home and school, to help everyone feel involved. And, um, no matter what you're doing in your classroom for homework, there's some very simple strategies that can be used to help build this bridge. For example, the first one is to model. If you're asking children to take work home, it should be work that they are comfortable and working on and mastering themselves. So do the first three math problems together. Make them feel comfortable with what the page is expecting from them, how to proceed, what you're looking for as a teacher. And if it... If I can stop you, Jenny, and I think this is so important in the world of English learners because we know that very often when they go home, if the parent has a hard time supporting that particular homework assignment because of language barriers, the child really has to have a very clear understanding of how he or she is to do the homework. Um, so modeling is, the, is a great strategy. Mm-hmm. No, Claire, that's exactly it. I mean, we need to make sure that the kids see this as their responsibility and they feel confident so that they can demonstrate mastery at home and sh- kind of show off to their parents while practicing their skills, but not necessarily making this burdensome for the family. Also, the idea of repetition. Maybe you're requiring the same thing every night from the students. They're going home and reading every night and then writing in a reading journal. Just having that consistency helps both the child and the parents become familiar with the structure and the routine, which is in essence what you're trying to build, these good study habits for these children. Another simple thing that teachers could do, I love the idea of sending home three words or phrases from the day that say, ask me about area, photosynthesis, Ben Franklin, and it can begin a conversation with the parents. Um, That's not intimidating, but it is informative, and it can also be done in their native language. Right. This was actually my favorite suggestion from tip number 10, that we should ask children to tell parents about what they've learned each day. And the reason I love this so much is because 
it can allow students to use their native languages. We don't say, tell your parents what you learned today, and you have to tell them in English, for example. Um, and this can be scaffolded, this using homework as a way to help children engage with their parents in a meaningful way can be scaffolded in all sorts of ways. So um, it can be directed at parents. For example, on a Friday afternoon, ask your child the following three questions. Why do we call Harriet Tubman Black Moses? Maybe have your students draw you a circle and show you where the perimeter is, or I don't know, who made a visit to our class this week? Um, but it can also be directed at the students. So tell someone in your house about why Harriet Tubman is called Black Moses, for example, right? Do these three things and then have the person you talk to sign right here to show me that you've had this conversation. And of course, you can have this conversation in Tagalog, Farsi, Spanish. Um, it doesn't matter as long as you, the student, are becoming, um, in many respects, a teacher of an older sibling, an aunt, your mom, etc. And another beautiful thing about this approach is that it takes homework away from the domain that we usually put it in, the domain of writing, mm -hmm. and it expands it into listening and speaking. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're helping these students to use language in multiple domains, which we say all the time, but we know that in the classroom we tend to default to reading and writing. How do we incorporate more listening and speaking? And this might be a way to do that as well. And if I can add one more point, the beauty of a child using his or her native or first language to do a homework assignment like this means that you are inviting that child to think about what these words are or what these ideas are in another language. So that's building a bridge between the English that they're acquiring at school and then expanding and enriching um, their heritage language, which and we know there are tremendous brain benefits in doing this. Exactly. Well, hopefully that encourages everyone to kind of look at homework and schoolwork a little bit differently and maybe integrate some new strategies. I'm really excited to move beyond number 10, too, and kind of look at 11, 12, 13, mm -hmm. jump into 15 a little bit. Claire, you have to share with our listeners your Our Lady of Guadalupe experience from this year. Um, yeah, so I feel like I've just walked some of these suggestions in the last couple months. Um, Suggestion number 11 was look for ways that ELL parents can participate and volunteer. Number 12 was think outside the box about parent engagement. Number 13 was consider alternative schedules, locations, etc. And number 15 was encourage ELL parents to take on leadership roles. And I think um, this process of celebrating Our Lady of Guadalupe more intentionally at Holy Cross this year allowed me to really consider um, the power of all of those suggestions. So at Holy Cross, where I work um, part-time in addition to, to being on the ENL team, we have a growing Mexican-American population um, community. And one of the really cool things is we also have a growing population of teachers who are Latina who've also added tremendous insights. Um, and one of the suggestions of one of our teachers is that we really need to do a lot more to celebrate the fiestas. So we took a look at the calendar and obviously December 12th jumped out at us. So we wanted to rethink, re-envision how we celebrated Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, and of course, one of the things that became very obvious quickly to us and something that we believe deeply is that our communities are full of assets and expertise. And so um, we recognize that quite obviously our Mexican-American families 
were um, more expert in general on the topic of Our Lady of Guadalupe. She's the patron saint of the Americas, but of course, um, she plays a very special role to the people of Mexico. Um, So what we did was immediately reach out. And our conversation usually started with the phrase, I need to ask you a favor, right? Mm -hmm. Tengo que pedirle un favor. Um, And I'm, as a mom, not just as an educator, I'm such a big believer in redundancy and communication. You know, Jenny, that I love a good reminder, and I really love three good reminders. Mm -hmm. Um, So our front office made calls. Luckily, um, we have a bilingual administrator um, in our front office. Um, We put things in the newsletter. We chatted in the hallways, in the pickup lines when we saw moms. We we definitely encourage parents to text their friends and kind of leverage their own network to turn folks out. And then um, one of the things we importantly did is we really talked it up with our students. I can't tell you how many kids I pulled aside the week of our planning committee meeting and said, does your mom know? Are you guys planning on coming? Don't let her forget. Can't wait to see you there. Um, So what we ended up deciding was that we would host the meeting in the evening on a weeknight. um, And we had art activities ready because we knew that there was a very good likelihood that families would bring their kids. And to no one's surprise, numerous families ended up bringing food, which was delicious and delightful. Um, You know, if you if you recall that day of the event, I was really hoping that we would get one full cafeteria table um, of families to show up. And because of all the effort we put into invitation, and I think probably more importantly, because of the role that Our Lady of Guadalupe played, central role in the faith of a lot of these families, we ended up with three complete tables filled with families, which was awesome. And it wasn't just our Mexican-American population. We had people turn out from our HASA, our PTO, um, from our parish council, several teachers, uh, the pastor, et cetera. Claire, this sounds like such a beautiful witness to the diversity of the community and also the power of personal invitation oh, yeah. and multiple outreaches. It, you know, it was work. I'm not going to lie, but it was totally worth it. And I forgot to tell you a very important detail about this meeting. So we decided that we were going to conduct the meeting in Spanish. Now, as you, our principal, our pastor, do not speak Spanish. So we knew that this was going to be um, a big decision. But, you know, what we were really resolute about is that so often we ask these families to do things on our terms. And I felt like we were asking um, such a beautiful, it was a beautiful request to our families, but we were also asking a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt like the the least we could do is meet them on their terms. And I I wish I had had a video camera with me in the hallway when I let one of the moms know that this meeting was going to be in Spanish. I mean, she was smiling ear to ear. Now, The reality was that the meeting was in Spanish, but there were also elements of English. And we placed ourselves strategically in the room. So like I was next to the principal and the pastor so that we could do some real time um, translating. And what evolved was that teams of people um, took initiative on certain topics. So we had a couple... um, mothers that were really interested in pulling together food 
So after the mass, we had a procession to the gym where we had another um, celebration with food. We had teams, again, of mothers um, who volunteered to create an altar. The school supported this. We made 200 paper flowers. Um, one of the moms actually reached out to a friend to borrow a statue. Oh, how beautiful. Um, and some of these teams, that, you know, I think the cool thing is that these teams were a mix, mm-hmm. right? Not all of these teams were exclusively um, our Mexican-American families. We had a team of people that, um, especially our Hassa folks, that sold roses. Um, and then obviously a lot of the teachers in the school were really involved in planning the liturgy and making sure that was authentic. And there was a lot of back and forth. So, for example, someone on the parish council said, we really want to do this on Sunday um, to open this up to all of our families. And several of the moms said in Spanish, no, that's not the way this happens. We celebrate this on the 12th, mm-hmm. whatever day that is. So there was some negotiation, um, which isn't always easy, but is usually very fruitful. Um, and, you know, this, we're just getting started. I mean, this year was magnificent, and um, I cannot imagine that this is not a school tradition that will take us into the future and sort of reflect who we are now. Claire, that's just a beautiful, I love that story. It's so incredibly beautiful and powerful. Just a great witness to the universal church, the power of people coming together organically, the way you've cultivated leaders in that school community who will remain leaders for the years to come that their kids will be there because they felt like they had a voice in this. They were given a leadership role. Um, and and just elevating someone as the expert. I cannot mm-hmm. tell you how many times we we had to reach out and ask, how show me how is this done? Mm-hmm. You know, the power of um, humility, right? Uh, to say totally. we don't know all of this, but you do. Please share with us and what that does for. I mean, we know what that does for us individually, but what that'll do for our community, it will be so fruitful. We had dads taking days off work to be able to come and participate in this mass. I mean, it was really, um, it was, I feel like the spirit was at work. But but we learned lessons through the process Absolutely. that I feel like other people should hear. Mm-hmm. If you could give a suggestion, what would one of those lessons be that you learned that you, if we did it again, maybe we'd watch out for this or prepare for this on the front end? Um, turn to your community and be robust in your invitation. The way you invite, the number of times you invite people, um, and yeah, the sort of the spirit of we want very much to do this, but we can't do it without you because we know how good you are in this case of doing this. Um, and then meeting people on their terms, not just our own. And that was something that the article really drove home with this last set of um, suggestions and strategies is making sure that it was done on other people's terms. Now, Claire, knowing this and imagining the beauty of the celebration and the richness of everything that happened, I'm also aware that there are many other diverse groups at Holy Cross. How do you create a sense of belonging and balance given this large diversity? Um, it's a challenge. And I, uh, Listeners, you can't see that Jenny just gave me a wink because she knows that last night we held a very similar meeting, um, but it was about celebrating black history in the school community. So, um, you know, when you start more intentionally celebrating culture, elevating families and experiences, um, what we found is everybody wants in on that. Mm 
right? So, um, so we took these lessons that we learned organically by, by um, throwing ourselves into Our Lady of Guadalupe, and we're trying to extend them um, into different domains. So um, same thing, we, we held a meeting last night for, um, to seek insight from our community on how we can better celebrate Black History Month. And the insight is extraordinary. I mean, you have someone from another parish that came through invitation um, who spoke specifically, has, has tremendous expertise in black Catholic saints and holy men and women. So we invited her to come in. She's gonna be talking to all of our middle schoolers. Um, we have people that have connections with local restaurants. So we're gonna um, address how our students will learn through food um, and there was one mom that said at the end, I really want to help, but I work and I can't, um, I know I won't be able to come in on such and such days. And the response was, well, then pray for us. We need that more than anything. Um, but I don't have a doubt that this mom who, who's the mom of a kindergartner, interestingly, right? So she was new, relatively new to our school community, um, didn't become infinitely more invested after last night. So, you know, I mean, part of it is just throwing yourself into it with humility, but with, but with passion and a, it, simply a deep belief that our schools are more fully Catholic when we recognize the richness of the experience of our families. Um, and, you know, historically we've celebrated all kinds of different saints. Um, so, um, yeah. It's just, it's, it's being intentional, I think. I think this is, they're just a beautiful example of um, empowering that community, empowering parents as the primary educators of their children, and then also what these experiences do to enrich the academics of the classroom, too, have just been tremendous. In addition to all the things that you've shared, I've also watched you in the office planning lesson plans, making copies, preparing activities for teachers. These are not things that happen separately from the academics in the classroom, but they truly enrich the academic life of the classroom. And there are great resources out there to help further the academics related to these topics as well. So, um, And then can connect again with engaging parents in homework and schoolwork when these are the topics being discussed in the classroom. Before we conclude, I want to ask you one more question, Jenny, because we were talking about, I think it was suggestion number 16, which is how you make these things sustainable mm -hmm. within schools. Um, and I know that St. Anne's and St. Adelbert's, where you've both, you've worked in one way or another, did things that were... Um, relatively frequent. So I'm curious, can you remind me what are those stories? Absolutely. So in working with these schools, St. Anne, St. Adalbert's, and um, Holy Redeemer, we had monthly family nights. And um, basically, these stemmed out of the fact that the home and school associations for all these schools, most of these schools, was dwindling. Four or five mothers, they were meeting in the principal's office once a month. And kind of lamenting the fact that there wasn't a lot of buy-in and there wasn't much they could do because there wasn't a lot of buy-in. So we reimagined parent involvement, similar to a lot of the things that you've mentioned. And we had these monthly family nights where um, 
a local restaurant or family would cater or families would just bring a potluck. Families would come at about 5 o'clock and have dinner as a family. And then after dinner, there was child care provided for the younger siblings. The school-age children had rooms where they could go to to do homework, and there were tutors um, that would help with that. And then the parents were able to engage in either a discussion related to an event coming up in the school, but most often or more often, they were connected to a community resource. So, for example, a librarian would come in and talk to the families in Spanish about how to apply for a library card, how the resources that the library offered, things like that. In a lot of the instances, the schools were struggling because they needed parents to fill out their financial aid fax forms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what some of the schools did was connect with a local bank and bring in a representative from the bank who could speak to the families in Spanish about the resources that the bank could offer them, really built a relationship with a lot of the families, helped them with some financial planning, and then in conjunction with that, the school was able to more accurately get the information they needed for their fax paperwork and things like that. But just having these family nights then proved to be such a great event that people started looking forward to them. They wanted to be there. More and more parents would volunteer suggestions for the next event. Oh, I know so-and-so is a nurse and she could come in and speak about this or so-and-so is running this business down the road and they could come in and share this. And so it became sustainable because families kept volunteering. And then it does get a little bit tricky, and it's helpful to have some outside resources in terms of funding. And number 20 outlines some good suggestions for outside grants. We found connections with Notre Dame and the Notre Dame Alumni Club to be really helpful. They would provide sometimes monetary support, but lots of volunteers to come in to play with the children, to help with homework. And just the manpower for these events was really important, too. And for all of you principals listening, um, within reason, Title III funds Absolutely. can be used to support a lot of these after-school enrichment activities. So if you're looking for a good idea for your Title III funds, this is a really good one. Yeah. And just so making these events something that are regular and looked forward to by the school community was enough to propel them to continue. So, yeah. Well, we hope that you have all found this conversation to be very fruitful. The last page of the article, page 35, provides some questions that can help your school focus your outreach and work on implementing sustainable change in your schools. And as always, if you are passionate about ensuring that culturally and linguistically diverse children and their families thrive in Catholic schools, we invite you to learn more about the ENL program at enl.nd.edu. Please note that we are currently accepting applications for the ENL Hernandez Fellows, and that application window will be open until March 31st. We'd love to have you join this year's cohort. And as always, if you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and to share it with a friend. We love to hear your feedback, so leave us a message on iTunes and let us know what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Many blessings on your important work.